Hello and welcome to episode 319 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Uh, well, I, I think it's most important off the top in light of the Supreme Court's official ruling. We obviously had word that this was coming a couple months ago uh, of the overturning of precedent of Roe versus Wade and still absolutely crushed by this news that happened uh, and concerned both for the women of the United States and for the future of the United States in general uh, and what this opinion means. And I feel like this is something that uh, I really think has the potential to not think I confident has the potential to really threaten our general way of lives and to threaten marginalized communities in the United States. And is something that has been a pretty targeted and concurrent attack on civil liberties, uh, for all Americans, because if there are any rights taken away from any Americans, that is a threat to every American's rights. And, uh, we, about a month ago, when we had the initial word that this opinion was coming down, uh, put it out there that anybody who wanted to make a uh, donation of any kind uh, to Planned Parenthood or their local abortion fund, uh, we would send them a Pelton Cast hat and then match those donations. And the Pelton Cast listeners showed up big time, way more than I could have even possibly imagined. We ended up raising how much? Uh, it was definitely, I think, around 670, I want to say. And then Pelton Cast ended up matching that amount we did, as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so I was very impressed. There's one Pelton Cast hat remaining. Uh, <laughs> literally one. So I, I don't know if the first person who wants to make a donation, maybe the first person who wants to make a donation. donation of, honestly, I don't want to put a threshold on it because some people don't have the means to do so. Yeah, uh, right. yeah. But the first person who hears this and can send us an email or a tweet to uh, uh, at gmail.com can tweet at us. I'll send them that last hat. I'm going to Hawaii tomorrow. So it'll be once I get back from Hawaii. <laughs> don't expect to wear it to your 4th of July party. But uh, we will send them that. And again, I just... I hate that we have to keep doing this on this podcast and that from the moment that that we started again hosting podcasts together that it has felt like just constantly that we're dealing with a country that is moving in the wrong direction i mean last week's juxtaposition was pretty strong you know thursday as we talked about on the pod, the 50th anniversary of Title IX, this momentous legislation legislation that has really paved the way for the rise of women's sports and, you know, often gets mistaken for something that was done for sports. It's about, you know, equality of opportunity in education for genders beyond the sports realm and has significant ramifications in terms of sexual harassment, sexual assault, a variety of different things. And then to have that in the very next day to wake up to the finality of this decision, which, you know, as you said, we knew was coming from the leaked draft, but still to, to experience the reality of it was, was clearly, you know, jarring emotionally and troubling, uh, especially because of the concurrent opinions that were out there. I, and then like, I thought about this at the storm game on Saturday, then they're celebrating pride night. It's just, there's, there's so many issues going on all the time now that it's it's difficult to stay focused on any for any one thing but 
all of them come back to the same place, which is the crucial importance of making your voice heard and specifically doing so at the ballot box. I mean, look, we, we can debate the means for, for how this can be changed. And I think we probably have well, different perspectives on that. We can't debate the, the proximate cause that you alluded to earlier <laughs> that is responsible for the current composition of the Supreme Court. Wait, what? The election. Okay, yes. 2016. Sure, okay. Yes, we can't, we can't go back and relitigate that. I, it wouldn't but be helpful to do we, so. We can take the lesson. <sighs> but yeah, but honestly, on like, there's still so much more going on. You can vote all you want. Make, make your voice heard at the ballot box. But we're not here to debate that. Well, after many minutes of debating how this can happen offline and some tension between us, we'll see how the rest of this podcast goes. Uh, it's, it's not off to a strong and Anyway, anyway, the first person who sends us a message that they've donated to... Uh, their preferred abortion clinic of whatever kind. Uh, we'll send that last Pelton cast out to you. Great. All right, let's get to this week's beer, which I mentioned last week. We're coming back to our friends at Future Primitive Brewing uh, after we did their uh, queer beer IPA last week to celebrate Pride, uh, which was awesome to see everyone out at Seattle Center last weekend. Uh, this week, the Kingdom Kolsch from Future Primitive that I happened to drink last Monday. But apparently, I thought this was going to be new to you, and it turns out it wasn't. Okay. I, ca- I saw this can, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I've had that before. I don't know if I've had it, but they definitely have it at Sounders matches or whatever. At in the Sounders pl- matches? I mean, that's the only thing that I would have been to where I was in this area. Interesting. Um, in the sort of like uh, where you take your beer and then pay for it under the scanner or whatever. Uh. I think I have had it, though, because I tasted some, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I honestly, I remember looking at the can and being like, what the fuck is Future Primitive? And then seeing the Kingdom Kolsch, I thought they just made it specifically for soccer matches. So it's nice to like put it all together to, to learn exactly this is a brewery from White Center. Correct. Uh, their description of it on the website consists solely of crushable light ale. So apparently they assume the Kingdom speaks for itself, although I don't know, for the younger drinker. It may not be the case. They may not remember the kingdom. People didn't even remember the kingdom enough. Well, I think the weird thing about the younger drinker is they can read the words really large at the bottom, crushable ale. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think they're large enough that even <laughs> us older drinkers can, can read that one. You don't have to know about the kingdom to I'm know. Sa- but I'm saying you're clearly trying to target. Did we remember some years about the fans. kingdom implode- implosion? Uh, so that was 94. That was before Let's Remember Some Years really achieved its ultimate form during the pandemic. So <laughs> I'm not sure. Form. We probably did, though. I assume we must have. I mean, I just it was remember pretty notable. Our house had a view of the kingdom that we grew up in. That's correct. So like watching it on King 5 or whatever, and then going into the backyard and watching the kingdom implode. Oh, like for the actual implosion? Yeah. We did it in the backyard? Yeah. I oh, think we watched it on TV for a second and then walked huh. in the back. And you could definitely see like the, the dirt and everything rising up. I think we, we talked about it on the 20th anniversary. Safeco was already made though, right? Correct. So the view of it would have been blocked from our house in the south. That is correct. Okay. Because we always rep that south. You know what I mean? We, we indeed do. Okay. So Seattle, to be clear. <laughs> Thanks. I was going to say we didn't remember the kingdom enough to even have it be a nominee, much to the loyal <sighs> listener David's dismay. Uh, uh, have it is one of the nominees this year for the Peltony Hast Hall of Fame. But we Maybe have... David should have voted harder last year. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom didn't do it. He, he, he swung the boat this time. Because let me tell you, in our, our last uh, 2022 Pelton Cast Hall of Fame inductee in the non-sports category, Ivers was leading all week. 
much to again the dismay of Talking Taco Time co-host Chris Smith. But once Damon tweeted about that Sir Mixwatch should be winning instead of Ivers, the poll flipped. Wow. There was a last-minute surge of voting in favor of Sir Mixalot, which indeed resulted in Sir Mixalot joining the Pelton Cast Hall of Fame, and I think fittingly so. Huge. Well, I, I don't want to get too far into Sir Mixalot because I want to see if we can get him on the podcast next week <laughs> in the way that you got Jamal Crawford on the podcast. much more optimistic about this than I I'm, am. I, I feel like Sir Mixalot has time. Uh, Sir Mixalot received 47% of the 94 total votes cast. Wow, he really surged. Ivers, 31%. Seafair, 15%. Rough go for Capitol Hill Block Party, which relieves, receives 7% of the votes. By the way, twice in the last 24 hours, including Damon, people mentioned to me, they referred to Seafair as, quote, old school Seattle. Okay. So, I'll agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's appropriate. All right. The other toast we have this week, congrats to Pelo Bancaro on becoming the Hello. first player who, became, who played high school basketball in Washington ever. Drafted number one overall in the NBA draft. The highest draft pick ever had been Marvin Williams from Bremerton, number two overall back in 2005. And this one caught us off guard when we recorded last week. We were anticipating Paolo going number three to the Rockets. I mean, this caught, I woke up the next morning. We, it was the draft the next morning after we podcasted. Saw the tweet from Woj where he was like, things are firm at the top. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. And then as the day went on, Paolo moving, moving up to number one. It's been a pretty impressive run for the Northwest, not having a basketball team and having both a player who starred at UW and a player from Seattle, Washington, go number one in the last six drafts. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I talked to Jamal Crawford last week in that interview that you clearly haven't listened to about how, <laughs> you know, there was some concern when the Sonics left, like, is this going to affect the local basketball community and the talent that it's been producing? No, not at all, because there's enough NBA players out there that they can still see at the crossover uh, and, you know, serve as role models. It was. It it's was... also a major city in the United States. But, like, per capita, <laughs> Seattle is overproducing in terms of Hell yeah, it talent, is. for sure. Uh, it's because we're inside all the time, underproducing on the baseball talent. <laughs> that is that is, that is accurate. Uh, Paolo mentioned Jamal Crawford as you know as somebody he definitely looked up in, up to in the Seattle community. So that was awesome to see. Also, he was wearing purple for the draft and said it was for UW since his mother Rhonda Smith Bancaro, uh, one of the all-time legends of UW women's basketball. Wow. She was also wearing purple as was his dad. You know, it would have been who... a really incredible way to have honored. <laughs> oh no, UW would have actually been to have. <clears throat> to worn it, worn a suit at the draft, <laughs> but it was it was like a lighter shade of purple than the UW purple. I gotta say, his dad was also apparently wearing purple, who played tight end as a walk on on the on the UW football team. Uh, I just I, my favorite way I learned this from the Kraken actually. Um, my favorite oh, no. way to honor the University of Washington <laughs> for me personally, in the same way that I love to honor local brews from Oregon and Alaska and Idaho. Uh, I just love to play basketball, Duke. <laughs> That's how I really honor you. Yeah, the really important thing for you is that Paolo didn't go to Gonzaga. <laughs> if that would have happened and he honored you, Duff. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I just, the whole time that he was at Duke, I was like, I can, I can sense that he's honoring you, Dub, in his, mm -hmm. in his heart. <laughs>
Well, speaking in, in, in his in his uh, thoughts and prayers, he was honoring UW in his in his attire. Well, speaking of UW, we are remembering a legendary figure from UW athletics this week: record-setting UW running back, Pro Football Hall of Famer Hugh McElhaney, who passed away last week at age ninety-three. Truly, one of the greatest players in Husky football history. I love that you put remembering as if this was a Hugh McElhaney was a player that we remember in any way. Oh, you. <laughs> You, you remember watching his implosion in '94? We don't personally remember. We're remembering the him. Kingdom, as by the way, you threw me off when you said '94. You said '94. Yeah, I thought you mentioned the ceiling tiles, yeah. which was '94. The implosion. No, we couldn't see that from our house. That no. was inside. <laughs> no, that's why I was confused by that story when you first started telling that the implosion uh, happened 2001? in 2001. Okay. Yes. Yes, not not long after the Seahawks 2000 playoff game. Uh, I, for the longest time, thought that Hugh McElhaney was a quarterback. And might have thought he was Hugh Millen. Well, he is definitely not Hugh Millen, who is still with us. Excellent. Uh, should we talk about our search for Seattle's best bar we can? Well, wait, can I just ask one question about about Paulo? So he's drafted number one. Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, what is what is the fit in Orlando? How how do you see Paulo in Orlando? So I think it makes sense to some regard because they kind of need a centerpiece of their offense. They've got, you know, they. Mm-hmm. They whiffed on last year's first draft pick. It it was a slow start for Jalen Suggs. It's not, you know, unrecoverable for a a rookie to struggle in their first year at age 19, 20. He was honoring uh, uh, UW's Mike Hopkins teams (laughs) with his shooting his first season. (laughs) So they've drafted, as we talked about last week, a long time for, like, length and defense and things like that. And at some point when you do that, you need some offensive guys to complement those players, and I think that's what Paolo Bancaro can be for He doesn't them. play defense? He's not a... He, he's got some defensive ability, but his, his consistency of his effort there could stand to improve. He looks like he would be a really good defender. I mean, from a physical tool standpoint, it, it's a pretty good... But he's not like a super athletic player, I wouldn't say. He's, his game is more based on skill for his size. You know, the ability to handle the ball... Uh, a credible three-point threat, although you know he wasn't a high-percentage shooter at Duke. So, you know, I think that's especially the the Magic have drafted a number of guys who are kind of combo guards at the point. Markel Fultz, they they didn't draft him; he was he was acquired via trade. But Suggs, Cole Anthony, you know, not necessarily traditional point guards. I was saying that guards. they drafted Fultz. Yeah, you, I was saying that yeah. he was drafted first. He and was went drafted first. Yes, yes. And nothing to do with the Magic. So I, I think that Paolo could be kind of play an important initiating role in a way that maybe Jabari Smith Jr. couldn't for them. And and certainly Chet Holmgren, although he's got some good passing skills for his size, is not going to be that kind of offensive focal point. So I, I understand and why they went that direction. he's going to be out of the league in the next two years. So. Oh. <laughs> next two years? <laughs> it's very, very aggressively wrong. Take. Aggressively wrong. Confidently incorrect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who is the shortest? There's been players who like never even played a game, right? Was there a player who had like anxiety and couldn't even play? Uh, I believe you're thinking of Royce White, who uh, yeah. uh, he ended up playing though, actually, right? I do believe he played an NBA game at some point. It was not for the Houston who drafted him or Philadelphia to where he got traded after that. It wasn't either of those teams, but I think he may have played it in Sacramento for a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there's international players that get drafted. Frederick Weiss, famously. <laughs> I guess he wasn't out of... He took two two years to even get in the league, No, right? he never played in the NBA. Wait, really? Frederick yeah. Weiss just got dunked on by Vince Carter? It was in the Olympics. 
Yeah. I I know that that wasn't that was in the Olympics. He so that's like the greatest moment NBA wise of Frederick Weiss's career. I mean, it's it's the only mem- NBA <laughs> moment. He never game. played in the NBA. No. Wow. And Chet Holmgren's going to do the same. <laughs> uh, Frederick. Uh, no. Uh, Frederick, uh, Chet Holmgren actually from the United States, weirdly going to be playing for the Canadian national team. Actually, every good player was from Canada in the draft. A lot of, a lot of good players. I know why. Including new players are shade on sharp. Uh, Chet Holmgren famously played for the U.S. national team in the U19 World Championships last year against that. Victor Wembanyama. Didn't show up likely at all. number one pick of the 2023 draft. <laughs> Fran Vasquez of the Magic, another player who they drafted in the lottery, never chose to came over. He was good enough. He just, he just didn't want to do it. He wanted to play in Spain. Had was no he interest in the NBA. He was not in hustle. Sadly, <laughs> he's no longer on the Spanish national team. <laughs> It was mostly Aaron Gomez's in that scene. Wait, how many Aaron Gomez's were there? You, you didn't catch the joke? Oh, that his brother was on the team? His brother is the one that they say you're off the team for Bo Cruz was oh, Billy wow. Aaron Gomez. That's really funny. Yeah, that's the kind of inside joke you only get if you watch Hustle and you're a complete NBA nerd. Which probably was a high percentage of the, uh, the viewership. Uh, I guess, can, can we also, before we move on from the NBA, I my, mean, my boy Shade on. I, I like the pick for the Blazers. High upside if everything works out. Obviously, don't you know know a ton about him. I just went by his translated EYBL statistics. Have not seen any video of him really. And how were those? They were okay. They were <laughs> not 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 exemplary. But like I would have had him. You know, you know, I did my subjective draft board. He was around like ninth. So he was in the right in that range. How do you? How long is the timeline for Shade on to be a contributor with the Blazers? I mean, I feel like he's kind of similar in some ways to Anthony Simons. I mean, he's probably got more potential given where he was drafted, despite Neil Olshay saying that uh, Simons was the most talented player that he'd ever drafted. I thought, I thought you were saying that Neil Olshay talked shit about Shade on Sharp. Oh, no, that would be, that'd be a really tough, <laughs> tough pick. Uh, but, like, you you think back to Simons played a little as a rookie. But Neil Olshay didn't draft Dame Lillard, right? No, he did draft. Oh, Lillard. he did. He just didn't didn't feel like he could take as much credit for it because it was the first year he got there, and it was like two weeks after he got hired, uh-huh. basically that they they drafted him. But he also drafted Blake Griffin with the Clippers. Okay. <laughs> so, Anthony Simons has turned out great. Gonna get gonna get the bag as a restricted free agent soon, but uh, not not on their level. Um, we we should talk about the other Seattle players, Tari Eason. I mentioned that he had some, you know, there was no Shingun in this year's draft, but he was the guy who I maybe considered undervalued because of his statistics. Obviously, the Rockets took him. He's going to play with Shingun. Perfect fit next to him. You said obviously the Rockets, but Daryl Morey's gone. Well, they still have part of the analytics team that was there. Eli Whitehouse, who uh, is now, I believe, their assistant GM. Okay, so Daryl Morey brought in this analytics department. They blew it up. Daryl left. It's kind of scattered now, so... Monty McNair, who worked there as the GM in Sacramento. You've still got Eli and Rafael Oh, and Sacramento's Stone. good at drafting now, too, right? S- sometimes they draft players I like a lot, Tyrese Halliburton and now Keegan Murray taking him oh, over. Oh, but he made, the tr- he made the Halliburton trade. He, he was the there when they the made the Halliburton trade. trade. <laughs> yeah. And then Philly, you've also you've got them, uh, although they didn't really take a... They, they ended up... They, well, they traded the pick for an analytics favorite, D'Anthony Melton. So Okay. Those tentacles are all over the league now. And Minnesota has uh, Sachin Gupta, who was in Houston and Philadelphia, and uh, they drafted Walker Kessler, who was also super high in my projection. I feel like these like uh, historically 
bad drafting team. They're all in the West, too, I guess, except for Philly. I mean, I wouldn't say Houston's historically bad drafting. Maybe not Houston, but like Minnesota and Sacramento all of a sudden. I mean, there's a reason they had GM openings, yes. (laughs) There's a lot of teams that could have had GM openings who still didn't do things right. Or whatever. There are a lot of teams who like model themselves, right? Didn't the Hawks model themselves? They wanted to be the Warriors, not the Spurs. They initially wanted to be the Spurs. I mean, a right? lot of people wanted to be the Spurs for a long period of time. Yeah, that I feel like that has not worked out well. I mean, Coach Bud won a championship last year. You'll you'll recall. I think it's a, his success has been pretty considerable. Okay, fair enough. I guess if you inherit Giannis. I mean, he inherited Giannis uh, when Milwaukee was the coach, eighth seed. That's a, as a coach. I'm saying it's different for the front office. Well, you constructing who, a roster perspective. You, you know who the most notable front office executive is to come from San Antonio? So one, you guy who drafted Cheno for number two. Oh, uh, yeah. One who's never been able to turn any talented players into wins. It's really nice. His, his window is now, I don't know, 15 years long. They're happy to lose for how many decades? I, I think they're going to do just fine. Do you? I do. When? 2025? I don't know, 2024? Sometime around then. Great. Have fun. I think they will. Uh, <sighs> and then the last Seattle I drafted in the first round, Marjan Bush champ goes to Milwaukee. So that'll be a situation where, you know, not a lot of pressure on him to come in and play immediately, immediately gets a chance to learn from some terrific veterans there. So, uh, you know, certainly excited for Marjan as well. All right, should we talk about barbecue? Absolutely, we should. Our search for Seattle's best barbecue this week took us to White Center and Twinkie's Two Shoe Barbecue, the second outlet of that, the the first one being in the Freelard area. Uh, so, I Is went, there still one in Freelard? I think there is, yeah. Is Bud still there? I think, well, they, they definitely list two locations on the website, don't they? Hmm. All right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even disputing this. I'm just surprised. <laughs> You're surprised that uh, anything has lasted in Freelard? Oh, no, I guess, okay, the other location is now in Spokane. There so we go. No, Called it. Wrong. Thank wow. you. Wow. You win this way around. Uh, that's uh, Spokane and, and White Center. It's an interesting combination of two locations. So I, I had been there once last summer after I moved over to uh, West Seattle, and this became more or less my local <laughs> Bi- barbecue. Bi-coastal. Yeah. <laughs> What's the other coast? <laughs> Kirkland. I don't know. It's only a single coast. Uh, and you had not been before, had you? Never. Uh, what were your? Th- what do we order? I guess let's start with. Uh, so I, I guess just talking about this overall, I want to talk about the experience because. Oh, I guess it was sunny last week. I should say this wasn't the first time we've had sunny barbecue, but summer really started last week in the city of Seattle, and it really, really started this weekend. Summer and Saturday, it, it was here. I woke up this morning and I was just like, "It smells like summer," and it was the first time that I've thought that the entire year, where it was just like, "Damn, like we're there, right? We have reached that point. It feels good. It's taken a long time for us to get here. We've weird. We've had these heat waves in like late, late June, June, yeah." yeah. Um, where it's almost like the most annoying time to have a heat wave because the days are the longest. Uh, so it means that it's hotter later. But rolling into Drunkies, I'd read the Yelp reviews beforehand. And I was just like, the, the reviews I would describe as pretty negative. 
about drunk drunkies. There were some positive reviews, and the thing that really jumped out to me about these reviews is very few of them mention the food. And that, to me, is sort of like, that's what I'm looking for. If I see a negative Yelp review and it's about anything else that isn't the food, the service had better be fucking terrible for it to be worth a bad Yelp review. You know what I mean? But to me, it's sort of like, when you're judging a restaurant, it is 95% food, 5% everything else. I don't really care about anything else. Or I guess I should say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revise that number. Because you care about the vibe. The vibe is important. Yes. The vibe and the experience of being there is important. But whether the, the I don't server is the nice service. to me. Yes. If, if things aren't clear about how to order, that just bumps you up in my book, right? <laughs> if it's just like... People are a little bit surly, right? That's what I'm looking for is a place of business where it's like a little bit acrimonious when you're ordering. <laughs> where you might have to do something that is a little bit complicated to order. At no point have I been like, wow, I really, really love this experience. It was so easy to order. The food was bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the important thing here. Right? It's very easy to order at a fucking Red Robin. You know what I mean? But, like, beyond that, that's it. That's where it ends. You, I will say, taco taco time, order ahead, and you pick it up on the shelf. That's the best service there is because you don't have to talk to anybody. There's also kiosks, apparently. I don't know what, I hate to spoil the next talking taco time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know my theory that we should have an option on Yelp or, or whatever else look you know, uh, rating system you want to take where I can choose what weight to put on different factors and I'm putting almost zero weight on service. Yes. We should have fucking algorithmically the ability to parse through, like to reweight things based upon what the reviews it's say. A, it's a billion dollar idea. <laughs> Maybe don't ask Rich Joe. Uh, <laughs> Is that website still going? That website's still going. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Probably not worth a billion dollars right now. But I don't. I don't think they had the tech in, in what I'm specifically thinking of. Anyway, so roll up, and again, I haven't been to Drunkies before. A, they have a parking lot. B, which is great. That was nice. B. It's basically just a bar. At least at this point, right? There's no servers. They're not coming to your table. You go up to a bar. You get a drink. You order at the bar, right? You feel like you're just like ordering at a bar more than you feel like you're ordering in a restaurant. Correct. And I could see how if you were somebody who was just like a lot of barbecue places are like you go and take the family, right? You take your fucking 60-year-old uncle. He's the reason that we're in this situation as a country, but you want to go have barbecue with him. I get it. Right, you're gonna look past everything that he's ever said and most of the things that he's done, but you'd like to go have barbecue with him, and you want things to be comfortable when you're having that situation. Maybe Jan shows up, right? Like, look, you understand it. For those types of people, it is harder for them to operate in a bar type situation. I feel very comfortable in the situation, right? I went right in. I ordered a Rainier on draft, three seventy five, right? Not a happy hour all the time. Incredible. I went and sat down, you showed up, checked out the menu, went back and ordered the bar. It was a phenomenal experience. So what we ended up doing was, uh, I think they call it the Drunky Special or something like that, where uh, it's basically like a, a barbecue sampler platter. The Drunky's Choice. Drunky's Choice. And so speaking of bars, you know my feelings about people who order uh, 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 flights of beers. You're anti-flights? An absolute no-no. 
takes like 10 fucking hours to go through. When you're doing it with food, though, that's a great situation that you've got there because that can happen in the back. It could be assembled in the back. It doesn't take the bartender who has a long line 45 minutes to pour four ounces of every stupid beer for you because you don't know what you like yet as a fucking adult. Understand your tastes, people. For fuck's sake, don't order flights at bars. Thank you. Do not endorse this particular take. I mean, the, the real the real issue though is you maybe have to, you get like, two or three beers if you want to try two different things. You have to like you go up and just mark the four different card, beers like a taking. fucking yeah. idiot. But Come on, the, the drunkie's choice. They've chosen. Yes, the I flight. even asked to change one of the things, and they confidently said no. <laughs> that is true. And that, that's what it was just like back turn. I was like, hey, can you flip out the chicken for pulled pork? And he was like, no substitutions. <laughs> it was just like back was turned, did not even look at me to acknowledge it, and I loved every second of that. Right? So ended up doing Drunkie's Choice. We've got brisket in there. We've got ribs. I think there were two ribs, right? Correct. Uh two pieces of chicken, yep. cornbread, uh, two sides, which went with baked beans. Or no, the cornbread was one of the sides. It was one of the sides. Uh, mac and cheese comes as part of the drunkie's choice. Correct. Right? And this is uh Shinerbach, what is the word? Uh, what is the? There's a fancy French bechamel. Word. Bechamel, yes. I don't know if they earned the the word bechamel. <laughs> I don't know if France should have been uh, infused into this situation, <laughs> but but they went there. So the Shinerbach bechamel mac and cheese, right? Two sides, cornbread and baked beans. And, and then I assume you took the andouille sausage was. No, that was a hot link. Oh, that was the hot link. Yeah. Interesting. And a hot a hot link. And then on the side, because this wasn't enough meat for us. <laughs> this wasn't hearty enough for us. Some burnt ends as well. Uh, and it came with basically like two chunks of burnt ends, which we haven't talked about yet. There's not a lot of places in Seattle that do burnt ends. I, I really enjoyed them in Kansas City. That's kind of a Kansas City specialty. So I think Drunkies is the only place I've had them as of yet in Seattle. And can you explain to us what the burnt ends are? So it's the end of the brisket that kind of gets burnt because it's it's facing the fire but that's also kind of generally the fattier part of it too and you get the the thick bark it guaranteed yes it's like a much higher bark to uh you know the the heart of the meat ratio it, it should be pretty pretty black down there right where, where the bark is where the bark meets it, it should be fairly fatty uh, a lot of times it's almost even the saucier part of it because that's where some of the sauce even like runs off to right the juices run off there right Excellent, excellent burnt ends. And I have to say, going through this, I, I don't, I was trying, I was driving home and I was like, what piece of that was excellent of this meal? And I was like, I don't think I could pinpoint any particular item that I thought like was an excellent item. But overall, it was one of my favorite experiences I've had eating barbecue at, in this search so far. I thought the cornbread was really maybe oh, the standout to me. The cornbread is, they do it totally different. It, it's sort of like a cornbread muffin. It's a muffin, yeah. Yeah. No, the cornbread is totally different than any other cornbread we've had. Not dry at all. Because you get oh, some yeah. dried out cornbread, just, I'd fucking. That can be tough when it's gritty. Oh my God. It's like eating sandpaper. Yeah. No, this was, that, like I said, I think that relative was, it was the best. I, I'd say I was a little disappointed by the rib. Really? Not. I didn't think there was a ton of flavor there. See, I did the spicy barbecue sauce. That's the thing is I don't want to judge the spicy barbecue sauce too much because it was excellent, but I just don't want to like – when you're judging Seattle's best barbecue, especially for a Texas-style barbecue where the sauce comes on the side, if I'm like, well, the barbecue sauce was good, like that shouldn't be that much of a bonus, but it was quite good, and I drizzled that fucker all over everything. 
It's interesting because one of the things they advertise is we've got nothing to hide. Our sauce is on the side. So that's, that's interesting. The sauce played such a big role for you. It was just good. I thought the brisket was a little on the dry side for my taste. Uh, to me, it was the second best brisket we've had. It was better than Woodshop's brisket. We, oh, wow. I, I, I do yeah, But it wasn't great. I'm not saying that it was great brisket. I think right now the brisket that I personally have had in Seattle has been like pretty I, – I would – I would maybe take aside from Jack's my own personal brisket from home than any of these. Wow, cooked in the I, oven. I just, not even cooked on a fucking smoker. Cooked on the oven, I would take my personal brisket. You had a very different piece of brisket at Woodshop than I did, quite clearly. <laughs> That's why I want to go. I want Obviously, Woodshop's going to advance to the knockout stages. I don't want to go back to Woodshop. But when you factor in all of these things plus the price, considering that like this whole platter was basically the same. Easily as, enough to feed two. Oh, and two pieces of brisket at Woodshop or something. Yeah, uh, I mean, we didn't even—I didn't even finish the hot link because it was that was a lot. But it was more just like a bunch of things that were pretty. The only thing that I was just like, "This is not good." Was the chicken? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, the chicken we, was was a little disappointing. I didn't even know what the cut was of chicken that I had, but I was just like, "This is dried <laughs> out as hell." It was a strange. It was not like any. It was not a thigh. It was not a fucking breast. It was not a leg. It was just like some chopped up piece of chicken. <laughs> I don't know what part it's of the bird that came from. This is not that many I, parts of the bird. I think it cook. might have fancied itself a thigh, but it was not. Uh, I had a leg on that one. Yeah, I mean, chicken being in there instead of pulled pork is kind of disappointing in the drunkie's choice. It's all right. I asked to change it. That was not you happening, and that's okay. Mean, that's the way I like it's it. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> but mac and cheese was very solid. It was all just across the board, like pretty good food, and the experience was good. Look, if it was pouring rain, would I have had as good of an experience? Probably not. If I'd waited to go home to eat this, maybe it wouldn't have been quite as good. But right now, I mean, I ate the Woodshop Fresh. I ate Roro Fresh. I ate Pecos Fresh. And so far, this is competitive with any of those. But we fucking saw right next to us a one-star Yelp review. Did you see the people <laughs> who were across from us? I didn't have as good of a view of it as you did, clearly. Ooh, there, there was. A, I also was watching the Mariners game because I did have a view of that. And, and I gave a one-star review to the Mariners star, game today. One-star Yelp review to the Mariners. <laughs> and not because of the service. <laughs> the people across from us, it was like uh, a couple that were... I don't, I don't want to say that they were on a date, but went there. Only one of them was eating. Only one of them was drinking. Uh, the person who got food, like a pulled pork sandwich, went back immediately when the food was there. And I was just like, oh, shit. I was just like kind of – it was kind of tense for me <laughs> paying attention to them because he went back and like was asking something. I think he was asking for extra sauce. But it was just like I, I don't think you're in the right place, right? It sort of straddles the line, drunkies, between old school white center and gentrified white center. And it, it's a, a hard balance to really grasp, but I do think it's it sort of skews like you got to, it's a little bit grimier of a spot. I would agree. So it's not fucking beer star. You know what I mean? It's not proletariat pizza. It is a little bit different than those places. So I would, I would personally still have this behind Pecos. Obviously, you know my feelings about Pecos. Behind Pecos? You yes. ate the food we ate today, and you would have it behind Pecos? I did, yes. Are you, I swear to God. What are we, are we eating your memories here, or are we eating food? I like, mean, literally, what are we judging right now? I mean, look, Woodshop and 
and Jacks to me are are in a class of their own. I'm not saying I'm putting Pecos in with those two. Even I, I, I guess the experience I don't think of I, being at Pecos. I don't think I enjoyed this this dinner quite as much as you did. I think I think it's fair to say. Okay, I'm I'm talking meal to meal, food to food. This most recent experience, you thought Pecos was better this time. Yes. Okay. We might have to have a five-minute offline <laughs> oh, fight about this. We've got plenty of time for that. Oh, my God. You're just going to turn off the microphone or whatever. <laughs> Start yelling with the Electoral College again. <laughs> uh, historically, has flipped in terms of... Which it is not... Okay. But it's favorite. Has not historically flipped. Okay. Has there been a time before the year 2000... It was the year 2000 was the first time that the Electoral College and the National Popular Vote did not align. I think that's probably true. But again, it's Okay, so what has flipped? What has flipped? The scale doesn't matter. You win or you lose in national elections. In the same way that when you're eating barbecue, it's either good or it's bad. But if if one side wins dramatically... It doesn't matter. The fucking president is the same. Yeah, but... the. But in a world where the president wasn't the same, the map still could have favored a different party. It could have, but it didn't. In the way that the Pecos could have been good, but it wasn't. But the point is the Electoral College doesn't only come into play in close elections. It exists in every election. It's just the Electoral College, any time that it is not aligned with the, uh, with the national popular vote, has always aligned in one particular direction. It I mean, gives it's a sample more, size of two. It gives more power. No, it's a sample size of... Is it only two? Yeah. It's three, right? What's the third one? I guess think- Bush won at the second time. Yeah. There has been one Republican victory of the national popular vote since the year 1992. And this is the direction well, that our country... Since 1988? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, since no, but H.W. Bush won. No, yeah, but 92 was Clinton. So it's since 88. There's okay, one. okay. One time... Since 1988. Yes. And this is the fucking direction that our country is going in. I'm telling you, if the system isn't rigged, I don't know how else you can view it. This is not what the people want. Voting didn't matter. When the voting mattered, you're about to turn off. You're about to turn it off one more time. I mean, we should. I mean, yes. We should increase the sample size of elections dramatically to reduce the role of randomness. But you just can't be like voting is all that matters when people have fucking done the voting. If enough people voted for 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 representatives who wanted to change the electoral college, we'd change the electoral college. No, because smaller states still are not incentivized to. How many states have to agree to change the electoral college to change it? I mean, I think it would be a constitutional amendment. So what is it like? Thirty five. I think it's even, it's like two thirds. So that's like 35 states that you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> when you had, you have bad opinions like this about the electoral college and like this about Pecos, people don't trust your perspective about barbecue. I know that the last time that Pecos was good, a fucking Republican won the national popular vote. I understand that. And you're nostalgic for those times when things were aligned. But that ain't the fucking case anymore, right? The barbecue was good when I had it last summer. Oh, God. Antonio Daniels isn't walking through that door. 
just not that long ago. And even in its lesson state this time was still no better way. than what I had There's today. no way. Again, when you say things like this, it pushes me to be more negative about places that I don't want to be critical of than, than, I, than I am. Okay. So don't make me say more critical things about that's tonight's like, that's experience than I want to. Okay. I didn't even think the burn ends were that, that good. The burn ends are all right. They're all right. I'm just saying overall. Overall, everything was pretty good. You have to judge it on an overall scale. Nothing at Pecos was that good. Overall, everything was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Right? Is it Seattle's best barbecue? Probably not. Right? Is Drunkies going to win Seattle's best barbecue? I would confidently say that it is probably not going to win. Yeah. But was it pretty good barbecue? Absolutely it was. Which puts it above Pecos. No. I love your constant checking about whether you should turn off the the mics. Can we get to your favorite segment? Because <laughs> speaking of fighting. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. This weekend. I didn't write these takes again two weeks in a row. This weekend. Who were you doing before when you were typing a bunch of stuff? I assume that was the takes. I was typing stuff? Yeah. Maybe you're sending an email. The Mariners did something that is more memorable than anything that they have done since 1996. And that is not their five-game winning streak. No. It is not sweeping the A's and almost sweeping the Angels. It is brawling with the Angels. Because if you're going to be bad, you might as well go down fighting. That is the kind of team that you want representing your city. Is a team that is willing to brawl and to stand with each other. We have not seen a Mariners team like this since we saw John fucking Marzano behind the plate brawling with Paul O'Neill. This was the type of moment. Do you remember Felix Hernandez pitching a perfect game? No, of course you don't. Because that happened in the daytime and perfect games are actually weirdly boring. Do you want to know what is not boring? Fights between two teams. Animosity. Think about how exciting it's going to be the next time that the Mariners play the Angels. These suspensions, seven games for Jesse Winker, they don't mean fucking jack shit in the grand scheme of things. Because when your team ain't going to make the playoffs, it doesn't matter how many games Jesse Winker misses. What you're going to remember is the highlights from this brawl for the next two decades. Right? And that is what you want your team to be doing. When your team is not going to the playoffs, you want them to do something interesting along the way. So I would say thank you to Jesse Winker for getting after it on behalf of the people of, Sid- of the city of Seattle, flipping off the crowd at Anaheim, which I fully agreed with. I thought that was a great move. And all of his players backing him up. That's what I really appreciated the most, seeing J.P. Crawford in there, right? It was Jesse's fight. J.P. got in there to fight. Julio got in there to fight. Scott Service got in there to fight. This was a team effort, and it showed that the Mariners have really rallied around each other as a team in the face of injuries, of expectations, etc. The Mariners have come together in this moment. Maybe they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but if you come together as a team, that's what you're building for for the future. Was Jim Leyritz involved in that fight in 96? I feel like I have a memory of him he being involved He was only involved, involved well. in devastating playoff experiences. Oh, he was definitely involved in that in game two of the uh, ALDS. I mean, I, I don't know if that was devastating because it set up the comeback from, from the 2 nothing deficit that year. Uh, I swear to God, do I remember uh, most games from the childhood? The games that I remember, for, I, like the 95 stretch, 
the Doug Strange hit. Yep. That I think tied the Mariners for first place. The, the, night, the of, night of the election. The 10th inning Doug Strange hit. I remember that. I remember being, uh, obviously, like, a lot of playoff You, you were, moments. by the way, very unhappy that the legislature overturned the people's vote <laughs> against the stadium. Since when? Okay, yeah, the legislature really is doing a lot of good. Well. Have a lot of faith in the legislature. Oh, the good, fine people of the legislature. Also, this thing is just, like, fucking crazy and shit that you think about when you're growing up. I never... Never thought in my entire life there's so many people where I'm like, I fucking hate the Supreme Court. You know what I mean? Like, you're just telling your children about shit, and you're just like, the Supreme Court fucking sucks. It's just, like, so weird. The things that you can hone in on to hate now. Like, my children hate the Supreme Court, which is something that, as a child, would have never crossed my mind. Yeah, we didn't really have opinions and takes on the Supreme Court back I then. remember the photo balls going on the field at that birthday party you had. Do you remember that? I absolutely, like, crystal clear. Okay. Being there, exactly. We were in seats that were under the cover in the kingdom. God bless it. Um, <laughs> may she rise again. Uh, be, being under the seats in the kingdom. Pushable. I obviously, obviously remember uh, game five of the ALDS, and I remember John Marzano from behind the plate turning and punching Paul O'Neill. <laughs> There was it was like it was a formative moment for like that team fought a little bit they got after it a little bit and they were talking they were talking on the broadcast I don't remember if it was that game or if it was a diff- different game uh, but Dave Sims was talking with Mike Blowers about a fight and he was like do you remember who won the game Mike Blowers was like I don't know but he remembers the fight it doesn't matter who wins the games Blowers wouldn't have been on the team because that was ninety six as you said that was when he got traded to so the Dodgers it, it must have been a different fight that he was talking yeah. about. But I feel like that team, like the 90s Mariners, got after it ever, like quite often. I, mean, I think probably fighting was more common in baseball at that point. Let's get fighting back in a baseball. It's more common in everything. Ricky Pierce used to fight a lot back oh, in the days. The Sonics. I used to hate Bruce Bowen, but I like seriously miss the days. When was the last basketball fight? Bruce Bowen got in a lot of fights specifically. Oh, it's Ray Allen turning and punching Bruce Bowen when Bruce Bowen tackled him to the ground. Are you thinking of Keon Dooling? No. He, fought, he punched Keon? Bruce Bowen? Bruce Bowen, like, I mean, oh, maybe there wasn't, it was Keon Dooling there wasn't, that he punched. There was definitely an altercation he, between him and Bruce Bowen. It like, was there, Keon there was Dooling no, who he punched yeah. in the corner. Yeah. It was like in the corner, Keon Dooling right, and this race. kind of spilled into the stands. I was very concerned about that. What spilled in the stands? The, like they were, oh, that was like, was that pre-Mouse in the Palace? No, that was after. It so was after. We so were very was, attuned to that, let's say. And we were charged too. That's like you can feel how how the mouse and the palace happened because that happens and you just like feel it. You know what I mean? When you see people like fighting in front of you, you can just like feel the aggression in the stands. Uh, Thankfully, you were far from the court that day. No, I was not far. It was like right in front of me. It was like fifteen rows back. I was like I was all alone for some reason at that game. Hmm. I think like people were about to show up, but I was alone when though he was on the Suns. Keon Dooling, right? Orlando Magic. Did we fought with the magic? Yes. <laughs> Paulo Bancaro's Orlando Magic. The team. <laughs> How old was Paulo at the time? How old was Paulo? This happened Probably like in, four? I think this was 2006. I would think this was the year after the, the playoff run. So Paulo is currently about 19, maybe 20 years old. So uh, he was probably four. <laughs> maybe three. That's wild. Uh, no, Bruce Bowen though. Ray and Ray and Bruce, they like they got their legs locked up one time. I mean, definitely Bruce Bowen was like the master of the Zaza Pachulia play. And, back when they didn't care about that, and they, they got after it a few times. But those were the good old days. Every fight that there's ever been has been the best sports moment that I've ever been at. People do enjoy them. 
Uh, the Mariners acquired Carlos Santana and his four in four point three million dollar cash for the Associated Press to cover part of his salary from the Royals for two minor league relievers. Santana was an All Star and Silver Slugger in two thousand nineteen when he hit a career high two eighty one and tied his career high with thirty four home runs in Cleveland. But hasn't hit better than 216 since and has just four home runs and 212 at bats this season. Santana still possesses an excellent eye. He led the AL with 47 walks in 60 games in 2020 and has 36 so far this season in 52 games. But his out ba- on base percentage now outpaces his slugging percentage. Not, <laughs> oh, not no. typical for a first baseman slash DH. <laughs> oh, no. Look, things are things are pretty sinister for the Mariners and, and, and the, like, the the players that they were playing look I would have brawled too if I would have seen some of the players that they were playing there was a dude that they got from the Diamondbacks I want to say his name is Drew Luca had heard of him just barely Drew something Kevin Podlow at first base it was one of those situations you remember two seasons ago when uh the before the season started, and it was like going through the Mariners. It was just like Ty France, and I'd never heard of them. J.B. Crawford. This is not one of those types of situations. These are players that I shouldn't have heard of. Drew Ellis. Drew Ellis. Apparently, Apparently they made a diving, diving snag. Oh, good for Drew Ellis. But like when things were that dire, the Mariners had to go out and make a move. I thought it was kind of interesting that they, they already were paying some of his salary because of a deal involving J.P. Crawford when they picked up J.P. Crawford. So they already paid part of his salary when he was on uh, the now Guardians. Oh, yes, I do vaguely recall that now that I think about it. I thought that was kind of interesting. They're just like constantly picking up Carlos Santana's salary. I, I thought you were going to bring up your complaint here. <laughs> I was just about to. Okay, you've, you've got to look up what, what you're going to make reference to here. No, 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 no. Uh, I just I was I was a little bit bothered that look I understand the younger generations I get it the kids but when the Mariners traded for Carlos Santana they were making Carlos Santana jokes about the Latin American guitarist Carlos Santana and every single one was referencing the 2000 probably year 2000 I want to say it sounds about right uh, smash hit smooth featuring Rob Thomas of I Matchbox I don't know 20. which years and let's I, remember some years playlist I just, that's on. I just really was upset that we've reduced Carlos Santana's long and lustrous career to just this one fucking song with Rob Thomas I mean I th- in fairness now I think can we smooth, not Oye Como Va I mean 1999 by the way for smooth that's uh, close enough it's harder to make puns with Oye Como Va than just, it is I'm with just Smooth. Saying, that's, like, that's, I think, a key part of this. Do, but we've already done this before. You know what I mean? You weren't the first person at 37 years old who's noticed that Carlos Santana has the same name as Carlos Santana. Can we stretch a little bit further? This is very fair. Black Magic Woman, as originally performed by pre-Lindsey uh, 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 Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. I just don't know what the pun is referred to that. I'm just saying. Are you familiar with Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac? I'm I'm not. That is taking it way back. Too far back. Peter Green's pre-Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. The original uh, uh, proprietors (laughs) (laughs) of Black Magic Woman, as covered by Carlos Santana on the seminal album of Braxis. I was trying to think if there was some green that I could say that was the pre-green sounders. Uh, well, I guess the pre-rave green sounders. There you go. That works. Uh, back when they were playing in the USL. Well, the, the sounders 
coming off a 3-0 blowout of Lowly Sporting Kansas City on Saturday. Will Bruin opened the scoring, getting the start in the eighth minute with a header on the move off a clinical ball played in from Christian Roldan. Jordan Morris doubled it with an inc- another incredible headed finish in the 71st minute. Then he insisted Roldan on a third goal minutes later. Sounders cruising. Uh, tough news ahead of that game. This is defensive midfielder Obed Vargas will miss, quote, multiple weeks, according to Brian Schmetzer, after being diagnosed with a stress fracture in his lower back. The 16-year-old Vargas had established himself as a starter in defensive midfield since Joao Paulo's ACL tear in the CONCACAF Champions League final. Kellen Rowe stepped in for him Saturday. Probably also sees some uh, Joss Atencio, some uh, Danny Leva in that spot as well. Sounders this week welcome the two Canadian cl- or two Canadian clubs to uh, Lumen Field, Montreal. On Wednesday night, they come in third in the match. East with 26 <laughs> points. Between the U.S. and Canada? <laughs> it's only Vancouver. Only Vancouver. Remember, that we determined that the Derby, it increases the distance when you go to kilometers. <laughs> when you go across the border. Uh, long time Sounders MLS Cup rival Toronto FC, who comes here on Saturday. Myron in 11th place with the third lowest points per match. Ouch, they're usually pretty good. I mean, it, it, the last two or three years, really, Toronto has taken a, a turn for the worst. And it kind of like speaks to how impressive what so- the Sounders have done to just never have a rebuilding phase in their entire MLS history, such as it is. Although, I got to say, I'm getting worried about LAFC. With Gareth Bale? Gareth Bale, that, I mean... They they already previously added, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Italian defender, Chiellini, Giorgio Chiellini. No, Chiellini is coming to LAFC. Yeah. No. And they're both going to debut at the same time because Chiellini. Really? Yeah. I don't think I heard that. You didn't know that? Wow. I'm so sorry, but I have to renounce my Sounders <laughs> oh, no. Tough bit. It's right here be, on the gonna, my, gonna, my my allegiances are with Chiellini. You're going to root for the Magic at LAFC. I don't really care about Paulo. You know he's part of the Italian national team, right? Paulo? Yeah. All right, fuck it. <laughs> he should have he should have worn a Zuri on his suit. Well, <laughs> uh, could have honored them by wearing dark blue. Oh well rain. The, I did not wait, hold on. <clears throat> yeah. You know, that's the thing that's happening. <laughs> you don't believe me? You're making this up? He will join Los Angeles FC on July 1st. Wow! Hello! You think I'm going to stay in this goddamn city? Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I mean, I don't know that I would move to LA for Chiellini. I don't know how long he'll be playing there. I'm just telling you, right? There's there's always another Chiellini in Los Angeles. In Seattle, what is there? They might be more Welsh players. Some dude named Vargas got hurt. Nobody's ever even heard of him. Obed Vargas, he's 16. He starts oh. for the Sounders. Remember? Not ringing a bell. I think this, I is, this is on you. I don't remember how many Euros and World Cups Obed Vargas has won he's, before again, he was born. He's a teenager. <laughs> he was literally born the year Italy won the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. You know how old he was when Italy won the Euro? Still 16! Because they are the best team in all of Europe. And their was, best defender is going to be playing in L.A. I believe he was probably 15 at the oh, time. Oh, okay. Thank last. you. Thank you. 
Oh, Will Rain, back from the international break this, this Friday. This is a fucking team right here. It is. It's a very scary team. They were the best team in the league. And then they added Keely and Gareth Bale. Oh, no, that's like at the rain. This is the type of oh, team that is adding the best players in the entire world. That is, that is correct. Yeah, don't talk to me about no Angel City FC. Look, we're fucking sick of hearing about Angel City FC. Uh, rain back in the, the San Diego wave. Don't even get me started on the wave. I, I know better than to get you started on the wave. <laughs> rain back for the international breakout Friday to host the North Carolina Courage, who have a league low seven points in a league low seven matches. Wow, I feel like the Courage have been pretty good recently. After right? winning the NWSL Challenge Cup oh, I earlier this Courage year. Oh, I hate them. Part of a general trend toward the top Challenge Cup performers struggling so far in the regular season. Uh, Rain will be without their U.S. women's national team players, Sofia Huerta, Rose Lavelle, and Megan Rapino, who are with the team for Tuesday's friendly against Colombia in the CONCACAF Championship, which starts on July 4th in Mexico. Rapino going to start playing for the Rain. I mean, she played in the. She started the previous match. We talked about it. She got sent off from the bench after oh, yeah. she had played and got oh, a yellow card. Oh, she played and then went to the bench. So she won't be <clears> playing <throat> in the next match. She's eligible for. Is she will have to serve red that card. red card. Suspension. Megan Rapinoe on the rain specifically is like fucking Kyle Lewis though. Or it's just like Megan Rapinoe's back, and then you're like Megan Rapinoe got a concussion. I guess. <laughs> so we don't criticize people for suffering. No, I'm not saying I'm not criticizing Kyle Lewis. I'm just like all of a sudden we were so excited about Kyle Lewis being back, and then I was just like literally googling, and I'm like, what happened to Kyle Lewis? I. I, I had forgotten about the concussion and then he was on the injured list because of that when he hasn't been playing. He's not period. criticizing Kyle Lewis for getting a concussion. It it sounded that way. Uh, Lavelle had a pair of assists. Rapino the third as the U.S. beat Columbia 3-0 on Saturday in another friendly match. All right, Seattle Storm have reached the midseason point at 11-7 and seven after uh, two very different performances in their return home last week. Very impressive 85-71 win on Thursday against the Washington Wizards, the team right behind them in the standings. Uh, pulled away from that one in the fourth quarter. Did you say Washington Wizards? I did say that. Washington Mystics. Yeah. On Saturday... Bradley Beal is signing a long-term session <laughs> with them, too. <laughs> well, Not concerned with winning games. Uh, Bradley Beal, I mean, if you wouldn't, if you played for the Mystics, you would have a much better chance of winning. They did win the title in 2019. Oh, that's good. Uh, on Saturday, it was an 85-77 loss to the L.A. Sparks despite an early 12-point lead. Storm scored just nine points in the fourth quarter as L.A. pulled away late in that one behind Neka Agumike, a strong performance by her. But uh, that was not the story of the day as the Storm reached the midpoint fourth again in the standings, but pretty distant fifth in point differential, though they're 11-5 and five with Stewie in the lineup. The big story Saturday as reported first by the ball out and subsequently confirmed by M. Adler. LJ's coming back. Thank no, LJ is not coming back. They filled <laughs> the roster I spot. I can't believe I missed this. It's not going to be I LJ. I can't believe I missed this story. It, is, it is going to be a former number one pick. Hello. It is going to be a former MVP. Hello. But it's not going to be Lloyd Jackson. Uh-oh. It's Tina Charles, who uh, agreed to a contract divorce with the Phoenix Mercury on Saturday. Is that actually the term? It, it is the official term in the WNBA. There's some terms in sports that you really question. I, I don't know why they've chosen that particular Contract term, but that's divorce. what they use. Very sinister. Uh, my ESPN colleague Josh Weinfeld reported in our newser that uh, Charles's decision in free agency came down to the storm and Mercury, and she chose Phoenix over disagreements, according to a source, in how the storm planned to use her. Okay. Uh, also, that same source reported through Weinfest, uh that... F- Charles was unhappy with her secondary role in the Phoenix offense and was therefore pursuing 
this buyout is what we'd call it in the NBA. Uh, after leading the WNBA with 23.4 points per game last season in Washington, Charles was averaging 17.3 this season. Her 14.8 shot attempts per game, fewest since her rookie season. Now, she's obviously not going to play that central role in uh, okay, the I, I want to ask you a question about this. Yeah. What sort of role do you see Tina Charles playing within the storm when she's here and then playing alongside Lauren Jackson? <laughs> Again, now they've, they've filled their 11th roster spot. They can, they may be able to add a 12th player. They'll figure it out. In the late They'll stages of the season. But I don't think that's going to be Lauren Jackson. They're, they're pretty flush in the post. You thought I was going to ask you a real question. I did. I really, really <laughs> believed it. Really you was, really thought I was just doing a professional podcast and heart, setting I you did. up? <laughs> I did. It wasn't. Nope. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> so it's interesting because in the mock-off season... That we did last oh, fall God. for last okay, winter for you're her not hoop about, stats. You're not talking about the dunked on mock off season. No, this is the <sighs> her hoop stats mock off season that I also do. I signed How many Tina Charles. Mock off seasons do you do? Well, two per year, one WNBA, okay. one NBA. I, I signed Tina Charles for the Storm, but it was kind of with the logic. In in that, I let Mercedes Russell leave, where the Storm re-signed her, and the logic was okay. She'll come here for one season. It'll be a title push with Sue Bird. And then Ezzy Megbogor can move into the starting role at center. Now, obviously, Ezzy Megbogor has already done that. She's played better this season than Tina Charles has. Straight out. Like, if they bench Ezzy Megbogor for Tina Charles, the team will get worse. Wow. In that standpoint. The one possibility is they could play a bigger lineup if Tina Charles really wants to start. They could push Brianna Stewart to small forward, where she's played for the national team. I don't think that's the optimal use of her skill set. But Charles can shoot the three. Is that in modern basketball three. going, going, you know, in the NBA, right? Stewie would be a five, right? Is eh, it quite I mean, the same as she's kind of She's kind of like Anthony Davis. So it's like... Oh, she's not very good anymore? Oh, no. Oh, no. She's bad now? I believe it ain't, Dave. Wow, she's not going to make the playoffs? Okay, the she's kind of like... Two years? Kind of like Giannis, <clears throat> who can play center but primarily plays power forward in their lineup, and that's better for them defensively. Would and do better with a center next round. Sometimes they even play lineups where it's like P.J. Tucker and Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and they win the title. So, like, you can do that if the players can all shoot, which, again, as you make before shooting the three quite well, Charles can shoot it, Stewie obviously can shoot it. So they could do that. I don't know, I don't know the chances of that or whether they'll bring Charles off the bench. Now, the one thing I do know is that having Tina Charles will help the Storm's offense when Brianna Stewart is on the bench. Mm-hmm. Right now, the Storm are getting outscored by 15 points per 100 possessions with Stewie on the bench, which is basically like only players on lottery teams have that bad off-court net ratings. So there's a consistent trend. Storm builds a lead at the start of the first quarter and the third quarter, and then they bring in the bench, and the bench gives back that lead, and then the starters come back and try to win. part of that bench? I mean, it's not necessarily that the bench players themselves are that bad. (laughs) There's... 15 points worse than Stewie. Well, they're very defensive-minded. There's, There's so no unless offense. you have Stewie or Jewel Lloyd out there, and Jewel Lloyd hasn't been as successful or as inconsistent this season, then there's not really an organizing force offensively for those groups. So that's where Tina Charles comes into play, where you can dump the ball to her in the post or in the high post, and you know she's not going to necessarily be a super-efficient scorer, but she is a high-volume scorer. And that's exactly kind of what you need with some of those groups. Do you think that she might be willing to accept that kind of role here? 
We'll see. I mean, I think there's a better chance of her accepting a smaller role in Seattle than on a Phoenix team that was 6-12 and 12 uh-huh. at the time they parted ways with her. They have subsequently won two games in a row. Wow. Which, which is very interesting. So She's straight up like Carmelo. Would that be your modern equivalent? No, because, I mean, look, she was, again, she led the league in scoring last year. She was an all-WNBA caliber player last season. So we've seen how could, good she can still be in the right role. And I'm also like, you know, Carmelo never had a peak this good. Carmelo never won MVP. Who would you compare her to then? There's just like not really a situation like this. Um, who would I compare her to? That's a good one. I I, I don't know if there's, I mean, like skill-wise, it's LaMarcus Aldridge is actually probably the closest match, like Lady or LaMarcus Aldridge. But uh, even he was never as good as Charles was at her best. Okay, and so you said you sign uh, uh, Tina Charles in that mock off season. Yes. What kind of money in that mock off season, like with the roster spot and knowing the fit and everything like that, uh, when you were approaching this from an outside perspective, did you pay to Lauren Jackson? <laughs> uh, Max. Max money for Lauren Jackson. This is happening. Gotta get her <clears throat> get her over. <laughs> <laughs> This is the best joke. <laughs> no one ever comments just, it on, just on Twitter. Just wait until it fucking happens. Wait until it happens. All I mean, nobody the, talked the, about Jake Hayner until Jake Hayner was Hainer. just about to com- recommit to UW. Look, we went hard. We did a Hayner update every single week. Nobody was like, give us the Hayner update, right? There was nobody out there being like, wow, how did Hayner do against San Jose State? But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, people were like pretty interested. So the second that it gets announced, people are going to be like, wow. You know, the loyal listener, Ross, mentioned uh, he thought that DeBoer was kind of, Kellen DeBoer was kind of like a cheap hire for UW, despite our comments. I, I, a cheap hire? I pushed back on that one. Wow. Bring it on, Husky football section. Let's fucking go right Well, here. the other thing, by the way, I wanted to mention is uh, when I was hanging out with him the other night, uh, you know what he, he brought to, to drink? What was that? Plenty, plenty of the Elder. Had that for the first time in several years. You said you had that for the first time, and I was like, no, you didn't. No, that would, that would be a weird thing for me to say. It's been a minute, though. Well, it was a, a big recruiting weekend for the Huskies. Thanks well, for sharing your point of the elder, and then also telling me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we drank it there. I didn't take it home. Uh, who have added <clears> eight <throat> 2023 recruits in the last week, commitments from Hello. them, including six There's during your the weekend. cheap hire, Ross. Hosting several key targets. <laughs> That group highlighted by defensive lineman Anthony James from Texas and defensive back Vincent Holmes from California, the first four-star recruits for Kaelin DeBoer's staff. Can you explain to me what a cheap hire means? Like, they just hired him to try to get Jake Hayner, or like it was sort of like a flash in the pan? They didn't pay him as much as like some others, like, you know, other candidates. Literally, like, they didn't spend the kind of money. I don't know who. Like, they weren't going to sign fucking, they are going to hire Lincoln Riley. What are your options? I'm not sure, but... I, I assume there are coaches out there they could have gotten that would, would have been more pay, expensive. You always pay somebody more money, but to find a better coach. I'm excited about the Kalen DeBoer era. Oh, it is. 
off with a bang. Before he has already won the era before he's even played a game. And that's that that's how I really like to judge coaches. <laughs> that's how you know things are going well. Uh but no, this I mean this weekend was a monster weekend. Again, you look at those positions, and if you were to tell me what are the positions, where do you think it's most important? Uh, there was a lot of offensive line and defensive line. I know you'll love that. But but even some the, defensive the, back. these two players, right? If if you were to say where is it most important that Kalen DeBoer brings in high level skill talent right he can develop wide receivers he can develop running backs he can develop a quarterback we know that there's it's a very deep quarterback room or whatever Kalen DeBoer will always be able to find offensive talent the places that Kalen DeBoer needs to bring in high level talent is on that defensive line and in the secondary so seeing those two types of players commit to UW seeing a four-star DB commit to UW in the face of everything else that's happening in college football I think is a very important thing that happened and it, it really is showing that and look, all credit to Jimmy Lake here. That I think, most importantly, if we can phase into the uh, <clears throat> respectfully loving Jimmy Lake in his absence from the program, shouts Darch Manning, if we can phase into that, if we can move into that phase of former UW coach for Jimmy Lake, everything that Jimmy built as DBU here at UW is being continued with this, For right? Sure. It is showing that they're they're able to take these current coaches, are able to take Jimmy's work and Chris Peterson's work and demonstrate to a new class that this is the type of place that they are putting corners into the NFL at very high positions and competing with players who are playing at the biggest colleges. Yeah, I mean, I think that having that, to, you know, if, if recruits are watching the draft and seeing... You know, two UW cornerbacks go in the first two rounds. Like that's that's an effective sales pitch right there. Absolutely, and you don't look at it. You don't say, "Oh, that was Jimmy Lake who did that." You're just like, "These are good coaches." And I think the way that Kalen DeBoer has shown that he's able to connect with young players, with high school kids, is, seems pretty impressive so far. But I wanted to ask you, I was curious about this. So we've started seeing some money, some NIL money, right? Yep. Going to recruits directly from boosters two recruits, typically quarterbacks so far, right? There was a quarterback who committed to, I want to say, Tennessee, uh, who is like in the millions that they're getting, right? I'm not as well-versed in this particular story. I, I was just curious, like, and maybe this information is not public at all. When UW has these conversations with defensive lineman Anthony James and defensive back Vincent Holmes, are they coming to them with money right now? That has UW has not approached it. Is that is an acceptable way to handle NIL? I and I think there are some state laws that are potentially involved that limit them in a way that other universities in different states might not be limited. God, states that the electoral college has tended to favor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Say some states that are tilting the country in a certain direction are comfortable with the idea of NIL money going directly to players. I don't. I don't know that they're actually comfortable with it. They're, it's more like uh, if if other states that are near us are going to do that, then we're going to do it as well. I yeah, guess. you can see the fucking map. We've all seen where abortion is going to be outlawed. That exact map is where NIL money going to players is going to be okay. I mean, again, and players are still getting NIL money. It's just not, it's not directly direct from the school. It's pay not for like play payments. Correct. Like connecting a booster saying X amount of money to a player. Correct. So UW is still basically sourcing. They're having this conversation with these players and being like, we will find you NIL money. I My assumption is that basically the oversight is going to look very different. There's not going to be a fucking SMU, right? There's not going to be death penalty for a program anymore. I mean, I'd probably... 
like how the NCA has the regulatory standing to do that at this point to do anything really <laughs> is it, it boggles the mind. So there's a good chance that UW might still be operating in a similar perspective, but it's just not quite as like brazen. I mean, look, I think what you're showing, telling them is there's a lot of business opportunities here, things like that. You know, we have a strong business school that can connect you with these opportunities. Set you up Ivers to take could advantage have won of them. Fucking Pelton Cast Hall of Fame. No, Sir Mix Lot will fund you, I guess. I was pro Ivers. <laughs> I was really cheering for talking about Ivers for the first time ever. I, I was pro Sir Mix Lot here. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're happy. <laughs> I am. Uh, but no, I was just curious how, how you thought that was going to transform what we see in recruiting. Because I see these players committing and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, is there still a chance? It's a verbal commitment, obviously. They haven't signed any paperwork. I mean, I think one of the hallmarks of the Chris Peterson era was when players committed, he, you know, asked them to no longer take other recruiting visits if they wanted to stay committed. And we saw very few decommits from UW in that era. I, I don't know if that's if, possible in the modern if, era. If Lincoln Riley just discovers $10 million, that, I, I feel like there's going to be sort of a max where it's like, you'll pay your quarterback, but there's not going to be $10 million to go to every single player on the team. Certainly that seems unlikely. How else are they going to pay the coach that much? <laughs> well, it's not the school paying them. It's still boosters, but the amount of money that the boosters... Yeah, who do you think, who do you think's funded this? I get... I, what do you think no, that, that money is, that money is still funded. They're still funneled through the state. There's still fucking taxpayer money going to these coaches. The money is getting... The check is coming from the government. The money is indirectly coming from the boosters. Where does, where does the money that the school is making... Is there any place where the money that the school is making from these endless pools of money that the school is making from TV deals and ticket sales and concessions, etc.? Does any of that ever find its way back to the players? So there is the ability now. I and again, I'm I'm. This is a topic We're I haven't so researched. close to just paying the players. Just pay the fucking players. Where you? We've ended up this place that is so much more confusing than just they could have literally just paid the players the exact same amount rather than and just continued to pay them under the table. So there's the ability, I believe, to pl pay players bonuses based on academic performance that not every university is taking advantage of, but UW is one of the ones that oh, is. Oh, interesting. So. And academic performance can probably def be defined in any way you'd like it to. I don't. Again, I don't know any of the specifics about that. I'm ju I just know <laughs> the broad outlines that that's a thing that exists. Not every school is utilizing that tool, but UW is, is I, in fact, utilizing it. I mean, I, again, I've, I've seen some rankings so far that UW is looking very good in recruiting vis-a-vis -vis most Pac-12 schools aside from USC. So, I mean, I think the thing is that people are always going to be concerned that whatever rules exist are going to hurt their specific school and only their specific school in recruiting. Uh -huh. And that school's name is Clemson. No. And the odds are that's probably not the case. Uh -huh. That things are probably not going to change that dramatically. The schools that are offering a lot of money via the NIL route now are probably the schools that were offering a lot of money beforehand or were offering, you know, uh, amenities or whatever it was. They're the schools that value these college sports the most, and that's not going to change. But Tennessee's still only going to have one quarterback spot open. And, like, I, I think that's where it comes down to it. It's like the amount of money that there is, they can't throw $10 million, the boosters of whatever program it is, right? Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, et cetera, et cetera. Can't, and I don't think we've seen any sort of reported direct payments to Arch Manning, right? 
I, I'm not, I, again, I'm not super familiar with the story. I didn't even put together that it was Sark until you, you didn't mentioned You put together it. that it was my boy Sark? No, I really didn't think about it, man. That's got to ease the hot seat that Sark was on after last year. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm fired up. Good for Sark. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I'll move to Austin, too. <laughs> Just going to buy homes in various different I mean, locations. I would be very wise. I uh, would, would certainly appreciate it. Are there any former Pac-12 coaches in the tech triangle? No. <laughs> What about Asheville? <laughs> uh, let's wrap things up by talking about a busy weekend of charity games involving the Seahawks. On Saturday, wide receiver DK Metcalf hosted the Seattle All-Star Classic Celebrity Softball Game at Tacoma's Cheney Stadium, which was presented by Tacoma-based nonprofit Push for Dreams. Uh, it was the first time Metcalf has run in Seattle since his foot surgery this offseason, since he didn't take part in the... Uh, the workouts that he did attend before he was not, voluntary workouts that he did attend before he missed the OTAs. I didn't uh, realize that DK put this on. Yeah, and uh, Bob Condota was there, reported that he looked healthy, was uh, running around the bases at full speed, uh, uh, involved in a rundown play with Buda Baker at one point, which was very amusing. So good, good to see, good to hear. I was there on Sunday, the charity basketball game hosted by the Champions of Change, founded by the former Seahawks trio of Cliff Avril, Doug Baldwin Jr., and Michael Bennett. They were joined by several other former Seahawks, including Jermaine Curse, Richard Sherman, Seattle basketball legends Jamal Crawford, Will Conroy, Spencer Haas, Jess Fishlock, and Lou Barnes from O.L. Reign, and more, playing for two teams coached by Sean Kemp and Gary Payton on one side, Subert and Marshawn Lynch on the other. Uh, it was a slow start. In terms of the basketball, nobody could make a shot at first, but oh, uh, no. eventually they got things going. Doug Baldwin made some jumpers, and we kind of, things kind of got serious at the end. It was like an all-star game where it was like, at the end, we're going to put out our best five players, many of whom in that case were Seahawks. Uh, and and then Jamal Crawford and Will Conroy kind of took over in the fourth quarter. Like they, you, can, you can tell who are the professional basketball I mean, players. Yeah, they were there. Jamal Crawford and Will Conroy. Right, and they were on the same team. When you said beforehand, oh, they were on the same team? Yeah, they, were, they kind of stacked that team. Were there any NBA players on the other team? Spencer Haas was on the other team. So were there any NBA players on the other team? Spencer Haas missed a pair of dunks in that one. It was a, a tough beat for him. Yeah, so it was like mostly like semi-pro type players. <laughs> Spencer Haas had a fine NBA Rejected. Career. I will trade Paulo Bancaro for uh, Spencer Haas. They're both lottery picks. Uh, it ended up that the co-MVPs of this were Cliff Averill and Jamal Crawford. It was very strange that Will Conroy didn't get the co-MVP. He didn't score as many points as Crawford, but had the most assists in the game, had the most steals. I definitely thought he was kind of the, the most valuable player out there. Well, I was probably Jamal taking Cro- some Jamal Crawford's than anyone. winning some MVPs a lot last week. Well, he didn't win MVP, but he did win Hall of Fame. Or I guess yes. Hall of Fame, yes. yes. Big week. Felton Guest Hall of Fame versus MVP of the Champions of Change Charity Classic. Unclear, which is more important to Jamal Crawford. Uh, Richard Sherman was the only player who made it into the interview room when I was in there, and that was that was fun to 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 ask him a couple of questions about. What, he was like Dean up Jamal one-on-one. He was kind of the defensive stopper for the team. So I asked him about kind of the difference between that and defending a receiver one-on-one, which he said uh, it, it was easier in basketball because they have to take the ball. Shocked to hear him say that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the important thing was everyone had a lot of fun at this one and, you know, raised money for a variety of great causes that the champions of change are supporting. And, you know, it's certainly some... Some things to to learn from this first time that they were doing it, but uh, I think it should be a really fun annual event going forward. No, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about, this was years ago at this point, but like 
when the Seahawks were a good team, um, about the personalities that they had on that team. Yeah. And about how the impact that those personalities had on the community. And it was part of like, it's like, this is why we cheer for the Seahawks, right? It's not fucking Russell Wilson tweeting at the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup, right? It's like, you could still we, love we Russell We liked Wilson. it when Russell Wilson was tweeting about the Sounders winning the MLS Cup. We did not care. But there's not, that adds nothing to the conversation. What does add things to the conversation is Bobby Wagner opening up a press conference, having a topic that he's talking about each week. It is Michael Bennett. I think it was Michael Bennett debating with Richard Sherman, right? Yeah. Ab- about how like Black Lives Matter protests should be conducted in public. Those are the types of things. It's important to have healthy debate over people who might agree on the you know end goal, but have just different tactics to get there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's fine. Just but but that was kind of the conversation that we had. Again, literally, this was like four years ago that we had this conversation. It was about Douglas on the team and about how like we just kept talking about how it was important to cherish these types of moments and these types of players. Yeah, for sure, being on the team and having these personalities. And I will give Pete all the credit for that. Pete really cultivated this environment. And one way or another, like Pete Carroll, whether you agree with his perspective about football or not, which knowing that you may disagree with Pete's perspective on how football should be played, knowing how you should cultivate personalities on a team, I don't think you can disagree with that. And I think that that's something that Pete was really phenomenal about and is still phenomenal about. uh, And his support for these athletes and making sure that they have voices in the community. It's like... It's such an important thing to have these players have played on the Seahawks, and we're seeing this impact a longer term, right? Doug Baldwin, we're seeing it with a literal community center. Doing a Champions for Change event at the Climate Pledge Arena is one thing. Seeing a building go up in Cascade in Renton, Washington is a totally different thing. That is something that is like that is above the pale for a professional athlete to be doing, and I think it's a very impressive thing for somebody to be doing. I mean, it's notable that Doug and Cliff both settled here. I mean, Michael Bennett doesn't live here, but still very involved in the community, obviously being part of this group. By the way, I did not mention a lot about his basketball game. That His personality translated much more when he joined Joel McHale and Kevin Calabro. Did he eat his life? Was he like, I'm good? No, no. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he like just went and joined them courtside. Yeah, sometimes you, you know where your strengths are. He found his element. Yeah. That sort of, yeah, certainly livened up the broadcast. Yeah. Uh Kevin Calabro and Joel McHale. Yeah. How was Joel? I don't know. He was like much better when he had Michael Bennett to play off of. Yeah, he, he needed he needed because Kevin Calabro is going to be a professional about it. I mean, Calabro is, is known to uh, you know enjoy a joke or two on the microphone, but but it, still, yeah, the I think, tone was perfect with I, the three I think of them. That, that's that's the right group. Um, yeah, and and. I mean, that was one of the things that stood out. You had so many members. They did, during one of the early timeouts, a reunion of the Super Bowl 48 champions. And in addition to the many players who were playing, there were several players who just came in attendance to support. I saw KJ Wright was out there. Oh, so KJ wasn't playing. Yeah, I saw Not KJ. playing. Pretty sure Stephen Hauschka was, was there. John Schneider was sitting courtside. They brought him into the photo, made him get in there. Um, That's what I was wondering about that. I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. Seeing John Schneider as somebody who's obviously like one of the architects of that team. Yeah. Right. Maybe. I mean, I guess you would say he's the architect of that team along with Pete. I think they're the two of them. Yeah. And some of the separations that have happened with these players, I thought it was actually kind of cool to I mean, see I, that they brought John Schneider out there and, and I think to be part of it. I think that's one of those things you realize is, look, there's there's some hard feelings in the moment, but over time you remember 
the good things you were able to accomplish together and the fact that like that those hard feelings at the end are only possible because John Schneider and Pete Carroll believed in you enough to bring you yes. in at the beginning and to retain you for a long period of time. So yeah, so like Sherm came over and was chatting him up at halftime for a long period of time I took note of. So yeah, I mean, I think that uh, everyone's in a better place in, in that regard at this point. I mean, I think it's kind of cool when you look at all the players too who are there. You look at Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, right? Both signed as like, kind of lower budget free agents for the Seahawks any year that they committed to the Seahawks when it was clear that they were a Super Bowl contender. You have Doug, who was undrafted. Undrafted. Doug Jermaine, and Curse. Jermaine Curse undrafted. Richard Sherman, six-round pick, right? Brian right. Walters, undrafted. Stephen Hauschka. I don't even know where the fuck they got him from. Right? Is he also undrafted? Was he with the Vikings for a while? I, I think he had been. A, he was with another team and was a free agent at the time he ended up here. Like the amount of players who are there, KJ Wright, who is a higher draft pick than anybody else, right? Like, it's still like fourth round. Considering those players, like everybody that, I mean, I guess Marshawn was, but even Marshawn, he was a first round pick, but he still has gotten for basically nothing from Buffalo. Yeah. Like John Schneider went out and found all these players. Yeah. So he went in and found all these players and the infrastructure in Seattle turned them into a championship caliber football team and obviously their ability. Yeah, and their hard work and, and all of that. So, yeah, it was it was really a lot of fun event. Look forward to this continuing in the future and uh, being getting the chance to, to be part of it going forward. All right. That's an uplifting way to... Yeah. yeah. It's a better spot to end on. Well, so anyway, I want to talk more about the Electoral College. Oh, on that note. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>